Who are you texting? My therapist. You text with your therapist? Text, video chat, call. Yep. That sounds too easy. How did you find her? I just went to betterhelp.com slash save. She's a licensed therapist and it's all online. I connect when it's convenient for me and don't waste time driving anywhere. Plus it's affordable. I wonder if I should try it. It's great to talk to someone in confidence. She's helped me sort out quite a few things. And right now you save 10% off the first month when you go through betterhelp.com slash save. Betterhelp.com slash save. Got it. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Happy December. It is wild that it is December that we've been doing this show now since March from our homes. Um, Edwith, it's uh, it's good to talk to you here um, remotely and I, I love hearing your voice. Um, so I just wanted to say, you know, it is hard to believe in addition to that, that it has been a month since Election Day 2020. After over a year of campaigning and organizing, a record number of Americans turned out on or before November 3rd to cast a ballot. Although it took several very long days for many races to be called, the results for most of them have now been decided with a couple of notable exceptions. Uh, in Georgia, a battleground state that Joe Biden ultimately won in the presidential race. Two different Senate races are headed for a runoff on January 5th. According to Georgia election laws, candidates need to needed to win 50% of the vote in November in the November election to avoid a runoff, and neither of the candidates for Senate did. The enormous turnout of young voters in Georgia, particularly young voters of color, played a significant role in Joe Biden's victory in the state. So now Senate campaigns are working hard through the holiday season to sustain the momentum from the November election and get out the vote for the January 5th runoff. So to break down the role that young voters of color played in Georgia in November um, and what Senate campaigns must do to earn their votes on January 5th, we are joined by two expert guests. Um, in addition to those guests, uh, as always, I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock, and uh, a Welcome again to my other co-host, Edwith. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our guests here that we have joining us today are Chris White, a political consultant and the former National Black Youth Vote Manager at NextGen America, as well as a founding member of our Black Party and co-founder of Black Millennials for Flint. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and Dominic Whitehead as well, the National Political Director of the NAACP. Thank you so much for joining us, Dominic. Thank you for having me excited. Yeah, great to have you both on here. Um, important stuff to talk about. I know people are th thinking about the holidays and can't believe that there's still election stuff happening, but folks are going to make it through it. I, you know, George is going to make it through. So 
to start off, Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about your work this election cycle as the National Black Youth Vote Manager at NextGen and how you came to this work? Yeah, of course. So um, I previously served as um, Tom Steyer's um, national, I'm sorry, state director um, for Virginia, um, top of this year for his presidential bid. So um, coming to this work was, I guess, sort of natural in 2018. Um, I am a campaign alum from the House Majority PAC, um, where we work to uh, return the House to Democratic control um, with a 40-seat pickup. So um, it was this election was super crucial um, for, I think, voters of color in general, but specifically um, the black vote. And I think what we did at NextGen um, was ran some very effective text campaigns, um, did some very effective phone banking, and um, did a lot of digital advertising and spent a lot of money um, in the digital advertising space to make sure that um, the voting messages got out and that we elevated the narratives of um, black um, organizations that were already doing the work, uh, grassroots black youth organizations. Um, I think one of the main um, narratives that we elevated um, was the campaign, the Reclaim Your Vote campaign. And um, I'm sure, you know, you will be able to talk more about this um, from NAACP, but NAACP and the National Urban League and a lot of other black organizations, um, you know, plugged into that campaign. And it was highly effective in making sure that um, text campaigns were happening around the clock. So um, just elevating the voices of organizations were the most important thing and making sure that those text campaigns were airtight. Awesome. I think that's really awesome that you were able to push a digital campaign, especially in this time with the COVID-19 pandemic, where a lot of folks had to transition a lot of their playbooks. Um, thank you, Chris. Dominic, what is your role as the NAACP's National Political Director entail? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, my role as the National Political Director of the NAACP, uh, much of what NextGen is doing, it, it really is connecting the dots uh, for Black voters uh, across the country and states that we are playing in um, and really um, building out a robust voter mobilization program that um, not only focuses in on your traditional NAACP members, because a lot of folks when we hear NAACP, uh, we think older um, Black activists, if you will, um, but we have a uh, energetic and robust youth and college division um, that works closely with NextGen. Um, so a good portion of the work that I have to focus on this cycle, it, it really is diving into the data um, and focusing in on where can we turn out Black voters and engage Black voters, particularly in areas where folks are actually not talking to Black voters. When I say folks are not talking to Black voters, we, we think about Georgia and we take think about rural Georgia um, campaigns and oftentimes progressive organizations don't go out to rural Georgia. Georgia um, and have conversations in rural areas and rural states across the country, in some areas and states that are considered rural um, in those states across the country. Um, so that's a part of our job at the NAACP is to not only touch Black voters in the urban areas or the suburban areas, but reaching out to Black voters um, across the country in rural areas um, and actually having direct conversations about issues in particular that matters directly to uh, the Black community and not focusing in just on the candidate. Um, so that's just a portion of, of, of my day-to-day -day, um, as the political director. Um, but then most importantly, uh, making sure that any folks that we uh, engage and elect um, during election cycles, um, that we are advocating 
um, nonstop um, as NAACP members, as advocates, um, our volunteers, our partners, and making sure that we're holding elected officials, regardless of what side of the aisle they fall on, accountable um, for whatever their campaign promises or platform were. Super important work. Thank you so much for doing that um, across the country and uh, for continuing to do that work in Georgia. So um, I think I think a lot of people um, have a, a sort of like some headline understanding of the answer to this next question. Um, Chris, I'm going to turn it to you first. Um, what are some of your high level takeaways from the 2020 election thus far um, on a national level? How did young black voters impact the election, particularly in key battleground states? Yeah, of course. So um, I think we all know that this election really came down to, you know, three key states, um, really two, right? Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Um, I, I don't think it was it was probably a nail biter for the rest of the country. But for those of us that are on the inside, um, we were, you know, just sitting back and watching the uh, the mail, the vote by mails roll in. Um, and I think that was um, that was something something to focus on that that playbook um is something to replicate right so how how democrats won this election was making sure that everyone had a plan pushing narratives of make a plan to vote and vote by mail and not just vote by mail but make sure that your vote was counted right not not just voting and not checking to make sure that your vote was counted so there were a lot of um efforts to make sure that votes specifically were counted and that um, we registered voters. So there was there were a lot of efforts for that. Um, I, I think specifically young black voters, right? When we look at young black voters, 87% um, of young black voters um, delivered this election blue. 83% um, of Asian youth voters delivered this election blue. And 73% of Latino voters delivered this election blue. So the youth vote by far and large um, was definitely responsible for um, for this win. And it wasn't just the youth vote, specifically it was the black vote. Black women um, voted Democratic 91%, black men 82%. Overwhelming numbers, staggering numbers um, that we just haven't seen in a while. So the black vote was definitely responsible for delivering this election. Um, the black youth vote, like you said, more so. Yeah, I think we, we've seen some of that um, in some of the preliminary numbers um, that we're seeing on the youth vote uh, at Generation Progress. I, I know that you guys work with um, and have seen a lot of the numbers coming out of um, Circle at Tufts University, um, just the overwhelming percentage of young people and how many more young people voted this election and how many more of those young people um, opted for progressive candidates, progressive platforms, progressive ideas really demonstrated um, to I think what a lot of folks who work in the youth vote space have known for a long period of time that young people are going to get out there and vote for ideas. And I think you're totally right. We really saw that in this election. Uh, we are going to go to a commercial break and we will be right back after this with the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith. 
Thea Jean. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are breaking down the role that young voters of color played in Georgia in November and what Senate campaigns must do to earn their votes on January 5th. We're joined by two really great experts, Chris White, a political consultant and the former National Black Youth Vote Manager at NextGen. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you. Hi. And we are also joined by Dominic Whitehead, the National Political Director at the NAACP. Hi, Dominic. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you. So to start off, to jump back into conversation, Dominic, this question's for you. Um, Joe Biden won the state of Georgia and became the first Democratic nominee to do so since 1992, uh, when I was in second grade, so many moons ago. Uh, <laughs> what do you think was different this time around in Georgia in particular? Uh, just to note, I think I was in kindergarten in 1992. I was trying to count the years back. Um, <laughs> but just, just to note, I think... Wait, which which just, level of millennial are, are each of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think um, when we think about what we saw in Georgia uh, this November and, and, and the turnout... I think it really goes back to the work that's been happening on the ground for years now. And I think a lot of folks think it started after 2018 when Lita Abrams um, and the issues that we saw there with voter suppression in the state. Um, but Lita Abrams have been, along with Nse Ufant with New Georgia Project, have been engaging and mobilizing young voters, um, black voters and voters of color across the state, particularly um, not only in the Atlanta metro area, but also in southwest Georgia and more rural areas in the Georgia and having conversations um, nonstop with voters about issues that matter to them. Um, not only just having conversations with those voters, but when we think about New Georgia Project, Fair Fight, um, the NAACP and other groups who've been on the ground in Georgia year in and year out, um, really working to fix the voter suppression system there um, in the state. And what we saw in 2018 was 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 crazy. And I think with Fair Fight coming, the new birth of Fair Fight under under Leader Abrams, focusing in on voter suppression and focusing in on voter education with traditional groups like NAACP, with New Georgia Project, who was already on the ground, um, with groups like the Pro Georgia Table there, the C3 Table in the state of Georgia. And may I add, all of these groups that I'm lifting up are ran by Black women uh, in the state. So I think what happened in Georgia. It, it showed what organizing truly looked like from a long-term perspective and not just from a campaign and from an election cycle. Um, so this work has been happening for years um, in Georgia, and we finally saw um, the tipping point of that, um, this election cycle um, with voters, particularly among young voters, because they were engaged not only just to vote, but engaged in the process um, of volunteering, participating in the campaign um, or, or, or in different programs, but also seeing the involvement of what progressive and grassroots organizations do day in and day out. Wow, that sounds super powerful. And just even, it's something that we're fully aware of, but just even like thinking about that over and over again really flexes the power that we saw um, throughout this election cycle. Uh, Dominic, again, like what do you think was the most effective about the work that Joe Biden and his campaign did in the state? There was a lot of ground, uh, grassroots support and a lot of longstanding work as you shared earlier, but I'm curious if there was something that also happened in the national level that you can speak to. I think from the national level, from the Biden campaign, and just making sure I have my nonpartisan hat on as NAACP. Oh, this is a C3 conversation. 
Got Unless it. you want to get C4, it's on you. But <laughs> <laughs> We are C4 as well. I, I have my C4 head on as well. But in, in terms of what I think the Biden campaign did specifically, I think in Georgia, um, I think he did build, or they did build a coalition. And I think that was important. Uh, and they built a coalition of diverse, um, of, of, of diverse backgrounds or diverse demographics, if you will, of different groups who engaged his campaign. I think showing up um, was something different that the Biden campaign had done. And we look what happened in 2008 and 2012. There wasn't a lot of money put in from presidential campaigns, particularly on the Democratic side. Um, and, and But lots of money put in from progressive groups, but not specifically from the campaign um, and or um, a political party. So I think showing up, but then also showing up and recognizing that there was work and an infrastructure already there on the ground in place. Um, so Biden didn't come in and the campaign didn't come man and say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we're the big, bad presidential campaign. They recognized the infrastructure um, that was already on the ground. I think most importantly um, was listening um, to voters, particularly young voters. Um, as we, we know, uh, Vice President Biden isn't the youngest um, presidential candidate um, that we have, and 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 to engage young people, um, that's not always an easy thing to do um, if you're not listening to the concerns that they have. So I think those are a few, those are the few things I think the Biden campaign did. But the biggest portion um, really was building a coalition, but also recognizing what was already happening on the ground and, and the movement that was already happening in Georgia. Much of that that stemmed from 2018, uh, but much of the infrastructure and the work, as I stated earlier, has been done years prior to 2018. I think that's so right. Uh, people didn't perish. It seems like people tried to not to so much parachute in as sort of talk to folks who were already on the ground and say, like, look, you guys are the experts here. Like, what is working? What is resonating? Um, Chris, I'm going to I'm going to pivot over to you to ask you a little bit about Next Gen's approach in Georgia in this election cycle. Uh, what messages do you think really resonated most with young black voters? Yeah, of course. So um, just to really kind of go back to what Dominic was saying about there were already organizations on the ground that were doing the work. NextGen's, uh, well, so NextGen had um, several campaigns in different states, but we had 11 campaigns um, in 11 different states specifically. And in those states, um, those states were specifically to um, target, target voters that were not usually targeted and to target voters of color that weren't usually targeted. So in Georgia, we knew that grassroots organizations were already um, grassroots organizations were already um, doing the work. So for us in Georgia, our goal was to just really support the narratives that were already coming out of the work that was already happening. Um, we we didn't specifically plug into Georgia um, with any additional um, campaigns, but we did like defer to organizations like Fair Fight. Were there issues in particular that seemed like uh, were sort of popping in Georgia that you thought, oh, hey, like that's a Georgia issue for young people? Yes, yes. Let me give you some stats here. So um, one of the most important stats that I think came out of this election um, was that voters aged 18 to 29, um, specifically, their number one um, voting, the the thing that motivated them to vote um, for young black voters was the protests over the police violence. That was the number one motivating factor. 45% of black voters were motivated by that. 28% um, of Latino voters were motivated by that. So that's significant. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to pick up on that thread because it seems like it's going to be really important for folks thinking about what's going to happen in January to continue to talk about the issues that resonated if they want to see um, additional youth turnout and make sure that they're addressing the issues that young people care about running into January 5th with the runoff here. Uh, You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and we will be right back after this commercial break. Leslie Marshall. Real people, real life, real talk. to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm, I'm joined- Charlotte Hancock. Sorry about that. <laughs> Always a problem with the mute button sticking. <laughs> <laughs> Delay. Um, and today we are discussing young voters of color, and in particular, Black voters, um, and the impact that they had in the November elections in Georgia. And we're also discussing the Senate runoff that is also happening in Georgia. We're joined by Chris White, political consultant and former National Black Youth Vote Manager at NextGen, and Dominic Whitehead, National Political Director at NAACP. Hello, Chris and Dominic. Hello. Hello. Um, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey. So, Dominic, we were talking about a few issues that brought out young voters, including racial justice. Um, and you also discussed a little bit about the history of work that's been happening within Georgia um, since 2018. So the 2018 gubernatorial election in Georgia brought widespread attention to the issue of voters suppression. Um, Just thinking about both of those contexts, do you think that the issues illuminated in the election played a role in motivating voters in 2020? Um, No, absolutely. We we did some research similar to NextGen. We definitely saw clearly issues around police brutality motivated uh, or racial justice issues motivated young black voters to turn out this cycle. But on our end at NAACP with a few other partners, um, we saw that voter protection uh, was one of the issues and one of the reasons why we saw um, turnout um, and why reasons black voters turned out this election cycle um, in Georgia. I think that was a motivating factor. I think it was a motivating factor because people saw in real time um, in 2018, um, literally in 2018, that folks were um, still finding ways um, at the very last minute on election day to suppress the vote, um, to take uh, someone's, you know, civic duty, uh, right? That's the, the part of our democracy, the amazing part of our democracy that we're able to vote um, and, and take that away from folks in real time. It was one of the most disturbing things I think we've seen um, in a while uh, when it comes to voter suppression. Um, and I think that was a huge motivating factor um, this election cycle. And I think that's one of the reasons why we saw so much voter education clearly in this COVID-19 reality. And we saw the widespread of early vote um, and vote by mail among not only people of color, but just young people in general as well um, in, in Georgia this election cycle. Yeah, I think uh, those those issues are very clearly connected. Um, when we're talking about racial justice, we're talking about police brutality, we're talking about voter suppression. Um, these things all uh, fit under the same umbrella of sort of making sure uh, that we have racial justice in the country. Um, so, Chris, I think 
moving over to think about how those issues were really motivating for young people and were really motivating both in uh, 2018 and, you know, obviously more so here in 2020, uh, what would your recommendations be to Georgia Senate candidates, uh, Georgia Senate runoff candidates uh, and their campaigns if they want to engage young Black voters and earn their support? Yeah, I think uh, the importance of digital organizing um, should not be overlooked, right? The COVID definitely forced us um, to switch our, orga- our organizing styles um, from, you know, in the field, on the ground to virtual organizing. And I think that virtual organizing was, um, you know, something that was really crucial um, to bring together the black vote. There are a lot of organizations on the ground that are already doing the work, but digital organizing isn't something that everyone was well-versed in. Um, It's something that, you know, NextGen, of course, does very well or did very well um, because we had a lot of, you know, millennials that were on the team that, you know, do this. And of course, NextGen is based in San Francisco. Um, You know, just being technologically astute is is commonplace, but that isn't always the case um, for, for, all black organizations um, who just weren't used to organizing in this way, but we all met the moment. So I think to the candidates right now, I would say digital organizing is the best way to bring people together and to get the messages out. And um, authenticity in in the messaging, I don't think either candidate has any issues there. I think both candidates are super authentic and um, they are definitely engaging um, the youth vote. Um, I just think that digital organizing, there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, social media platforms and how to how to reach young voters and using those effectively is, is very important. Yeah, I think that's a great reminder because um, I think that uh, older older folks who've been working, who you know, traditionally work on campaign cycles and stuff, have these have uh, tried and true methods that work with a certain demographic. But if somebody is you know, not what somebody doesn't have cable television. So many young people cut the cord or watching, uh, you know, Netflix and that sort of thing or Hulu um, or getting their news or their information. Uh, so many of us are living our lives fully online. There's a sort of uh, social media town square, or social media town hall. But it seems like it took a little while for campaigns to catch up to that. And it was uh, really forced by the pandemic. Um, and when you're talking about people who have maybe never voted before, they might not have a voter file. Um, and that is going to be a lot of young people. So you, I think, yeah, Generation Progress did some digital organizing um, and digital GOTV work this year as well. And it, I think it just, it turned out that it paid dividends because there were so many people that might not actually get reached by traditional campaign methods. So I, I want to I want to, uh, as somebody said in our show a couple of weeks ago, I want to retweet what you just said, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> That's our saying now. We've picked that up. Um, I'm also just thinking about as folks are starting to work on these Senate elections and like voter registration deadlines are like quickly approaching. Um, Dominic, what are some of the ways that on the ground organizations in Georgia are gearing up for this election, for this runoff? And what are the main messages that they're trying to get across? Yeah, I think that's good. I think some of the ways I think uh, Chris really just did it, it really is uh, pivoting to digital, um, but also on the ground um, with voter registration deadlines. I think next week, December 7th, so not even a few days from now, five days out, uh, what groups are doing on the ground directly and our state conference and our team on the ground, we have a team 
um, on the ground there in Georgia are, I think the top thing is actually coordinating and making sure that we are tight in our messaging, we are aligned in our messaging, um, and making sure that we are not duplicating efforts and maximizing resources. And I lift that up for, for several reasons. Um, because it's a runoff, because we know in runoffs we may see some, some slack off from the general election, it is very key uh, that groups on the ground are organized in a way where we are coordinating and making sure that we're focusing in on our universes that we're focusing in on, but most importantly, being clear about the methods that we're able to do to contact voters, to engage voters, um, and talk to voters. So for NEACP, we are clear for us that SMS, um, our virtual phone, when I say SMS testing, <laughs> our virtual phone bank program um, that we're focusing in on, our digital program, um, and then our direct um, relational organizing um, program. Those are the three things that we're focusing in on heavily, on heavily on top of mail and all the other things that we're going to do. But talking to voters, we know those are the three things that we saw that move voters, not only in Georgia, but across the country in the states that we were focused in on in 2020. And we're do that and do that well for the runoff. But more importantly, we're making sure that we're talking to other groups, whether it's Fair Fight, uh, whether it's New Georgia Project, whether it's Black Voters Matter, whether it's Woke Vote, who's now on the ground there and letting folks know this is what we're doing, this is how we're lifting up work, um, and this is how we're um, attacking or this is how we're approaching, if you will, on the work this election cycle. So I think the main question for this runoff is so crucial that coordination is so important, um, alignment um, is so important across the board um, because there's so much disinformation that's happening already, right? And we're seeing that, and there's a lot of education that we have to do on the runoff, whether it is the deadlines of voter registration, whether it's when the drop box locations, um, whether it is vote by mail, and how you're able to apply, and just making sure that trusted messengers on the ground are coordinated um, so that way we're not duplicating work, and we're aligned in whatever we're telling voters to do. I think uh, I think that's perfect. Like not not wasting resources. Like folks need to focus and channel energy and not be working in silos and be talking to each other. Um, I know we've got just about uh, sixty seconds till our next commercial break here, but you just touched on this a little bit, Dominic. Do you think there's a chance we see a similar level of enthusiasm and engagement in this runoff? I think we do. Um, I think there's a chance that we see that. Um, I think um, we will see that. I think Chris said it a second ago. I think we're seeing the candidates getting starting to get the message or have the messaging right. But that's always important. I think the difference about the runoff and the presidential is Georgia. It, it is focused specifically on Georgia. So all eyes on Georgia. So I think that's something there um, that creates energy, but most importantly, connecting the importance of this runoff uh, and why folks are, uh, are voting, why we voted in November and why we have to vote um, in this runoff for in January, I think is going to create excitement, especially if we really want to see the changes that we want to see uh, from the federal level on down in the state. So I think we'll see and see um, levels of turnout um, that that we saw in the general. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I hope so. It seems like all eyes are on Georgia. Um, and it'll be interesting to have this all happen over the holiday season when so many people are fatigued. Um, well, you're listening to Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and we will be right back after this commercial break.
If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock, with an unstuck mute button this time. <laughs> and I'm your other co-host, Edwith B. Jean, who is enjoying Sagittarius season. Welcome. <laughs> your birthday's coming up. I need to remember this. I need to remember this. Uh, so welcome back to the show. To break down the sh- uh, we're we're talking today about breaking down the role of young voters of color played in Georgia in November and what Senate campaigns have to do to earn their votes on January 5th. And I want to welcome back our two expert guests for our final segment here today, political consultant Chris White. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Thank you for having me again. And and then, of course, the NAACP's Dominic Whitehead. Thank you for coming back with us, Dominic. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So right before the commercial break, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, are we going to see election fatigue? Chris, what do you think? Are people over it? Or do you think we could see a similar level of enthusiasm and engagement around this runoff, despite the fact that it's coming off of the heels of such a long election cycle? I have to be very transparent and honest. I don't think we're going to see the same same level of enthusiasm that we saw with. Um, it's a high bar when I say what we're like. Let's we can acknowledge that same is like yeah. a high bar for the youth vote. Yeah, and I, I think there are reasons for that, but I do think that we have an opportunity to meet the moment and to engage just as many people. Um, I do think that that's possible. I think that it's very. Um, feasible to engage the same number of people and the same organizations to reach out to the same people, especially when we have high or when we have highly effective text campaigns and phone banking campaigns that are working. Um, organizations like the National Urban League are doing um, text training every Tuesday and Thursday right now um, to plug into Georgia. So, and then of course, Fair Fight, um, you know, you can donate. There are several ways that you can get involved with Fair Fight, um, just going to their website. So there, there are a lot of ways to plug in. Um, I definitely think that um, just making sure that the messages are heard, the narratives are heard in terms of what is needed. Um, I don't know if everyone knows that this Senate, uh, you know, race is so crucial um, in terms of who takes the Senate, right? So I think that that more of that needs to happen, um, more messaging around just getting getting the importance and the, the significance of this specific Senate race out um, will help um, galvanize people to meet the moment. Yeah, I think meeting this moment is very important. And also like that message framework around power and how powerful people can be with their vote is super important. Um, I feel like we've learned so much throughout the course of 2020 with this election cycle, especially now within the pandemic and now with this runoff. Um, Dominic, like what lessons should future candidates and campaigns learn from this election cycle from your perspective? Um, That is a good question. I think uh, lessons that I think candidates um, and campaigns can learn, I think, um, is authenticity in terms of engaging um, communities of color and particularly engaging young people um, and just making sure that you're listening, right? Oftentimes, um, candidates don't always uh, listen, they think they know what's best for certain communities, but actually listening. I think we lifted this up earlier in the conversation. Um, continue not to parachute in, right? Um, so actually know what's happening in states, engaging with grassroots organizations, engaging um, with leaders 
around in states and making sure um, that you are plugging in in the right way and not making assumptions um, about a particular state in terms of how you're running program. Um, and most importantly, my favorite one that I always zipped up is resources, 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 particularly on campaigns, but this goes for campaigns, candidates, um, national organizations. Um, when you are putting resources, particularly in um, black and brown communities or minority-based communities, um, resources have to come early. And I think we saw that this year. I think we saw resources come into states earlier this year, earlier this election cycle than before. Um, but making sure we continue to put resources in early and having conversations about resources and what's needed and what the, what are the gaps and what needs to be filled in those states. And again, not making assumptions. And I think we continue do those things. Um, I think campaigns, um, candidates, progressive candidates will be successful on um, whether it is national elections and or statewide and local races, but just making sure that they are cognizant of what's, ha cognizant of what's happening in the community, um, but they're engaging in to, to get those votes. Cool. Thank you so much. And I also want to add something else that she spoke to earlier about how the leadership of Black women really came true. Um, throughout this cycle. So I'm just going to plug in hashtag trust black women. Um, and Chris, I don't know if you have a couple of gems to add too about like what lessons should future candidates and campaigns learn from the cycle. I have to uh, reiterate what you just said, uh, you know, Edwith, trust black women. I think we saw black women in several spaces um, deliver the votes um, for the Democratic Party. And that is something that should not be overlooked. Um, I, I think that um, just key takeaways, things that the campaign should look should look um, to do to reiterate something I already said: digital organizing. <laughs> digital organizing is so important. Um, just making sure that you know people are truly engaged um, in the campaigns and using the data that is collected um, to to keep people engaged. I, th I think that's that's really crucial. I, so I'm thinking of like, as I'm tying some of the threads together of what um, what we're talking about as some of our final themes here, um, it's resources early and often, um, it's trusting the folks on the ground, trusting black women. Um, if folks want to actually do something to sort of uh, bolster things like that, um, bolster on the ground um, activities and make sure that um, the potentially under-resourced under -resourced, um, organizations, um, if they want to get involved in some way, what are tangible things that listeners can do, do you think? Um, and that's, sorry, Chris, pivoting back yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah, of course. I would say, so donate to Fair Fight. Um, that is the first thing that you can do. Um, Fair Fight is the you know main organization that is kind of plugging in. Um, right now, they are asking um, any other organizations that are not C3s or IEs to, um, you know, sign up on their website to work strategically together. Um, you can volunteer with Fair Fight. If you are sitting at home, you know, on your couch wondering what you can do, volunteer for a text banking session with Fair Fight. I think that is the most effective thing that you can do to plug into Georgia right now and make sure that, you know, the, the vote narratives are getting out. A, register to vote. Uh, December 7th is the deadline. That's days away. So please register to vote. Um, December 14th is when early voting starts. So key, key deadlines to kind of just remember. 
Um, volunteer with Ossoff's and Warnock's campaigns. You can like volunteer directly with those campaigns. Um, and then the Democrats of Georgia um, ballot cure um, initiative. You can volunteer there as well. Um, those are some very immediate ways that you can get involved. That's great. And I would also just add to piggyback on some of that too. Like if you know someone in Georgia, check up on them, like reach out to your Georgia network and see if they're registered to vote, if they know about this deadline. I think someone talked about how there's tons of misinformation that's out there. So if you can spread information, I feel like, like actual accurate information, I feel like that would be really helpful and great. Um, and I guess like, Dominic, do you have any thoughts or suggestions as well of where people can also plug in? No, I think Chris, uh, Chris, Chris hit it on, on, on the head, um, or hit it on the nail in terms of where folks can plug in. The only thing I would uh, lift up, uh, you can also volunteer, of course, with NAACP. We're definitely coordinating with Fair Fight and Team During the Ground, um, but NAACP.org forward slash uh, GA runoff. It takes you to our um, volunteer landing page. There are four ways folks can volunteer. Um, they can phone and or text. Um, so I'll texting program uh, and or our live virtual phone bank program and you can be from anywhere doing that uh, we are recruiting poll monitors non-stop poll monitors and recruiting lawyers um, for election protection so those are th four ways there um, that you can volunteer specifically with NEACP but much of our volunteer efforts so what Chris just mentioned a second ago is in coordination um, with Fair Fight and other groups there um, on the ground. So there are ways that folks can volunteer. Um, and I would just say just continue to volunteer um, and give is the biggest thing. Um, give to organizations that are doing the work directly on the ground. That's great. Um, we only have a couple minutes or actually like less than two minutes before we head off to break and finish the show. But where can people learn about your work, uh, Chris? Um, I'm on Instagram at Christina Liz White. So that's K-R-Y-S-T-I-N-A, Liz White. Um, most of the things that I'm involved in and I'm doing, um, will be, you know, posted there. I'm also on Facebook. Um, if you want a more personal connection, um, yeah. Thanks. And Dominic, where can people find you and learn about your work? Um, yeah, people can find me, um, directly. I'm on Instagram as well. Dominic Whitehead, DWW underscore no author. Uh, of course, Twitter, D underscore Whitehead 87. But most importantly, um, you can follow NAACP on all social media platforms, just NAACP, all social media platforms. It's Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook, or just visit our website, NAACP.org. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much. Um, and that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Thank you to our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our senior press associate, Emily Leach, and to all of our listeners. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Bye. 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 This holiday season, remember the families who've lost loved ones to COVID-19. Don't risk losing your loved ones. Stay vigilant, make smart choices, avoid indoor gatherings, and wear a mask. Spread hope, not COVID. For tips, visit michigan.gov slash holiday 2020. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Some call it insight, others call it vision. At Pershing, we call it perspective. A perspective you'll benefit from, from a custodian you can rely on. One who can help navigate the big picture. 
and whose products give you a competitive edge. One who considers everything. What will help you succeed today and tomorrow? Open yourself to a new perspective and open the possibilities. Consider everything. BNY Mellon Pershing. Learn more at pershing.com slash go independent. Pershing Advisor Solutions, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.